This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, March 27th, 2023 edition. I appreciate you all tuning in for a new week. It's going to be an interesting one. Last week was was interesting in its own right with the Fed meeting and still a lot of gyrations uh, within the, the banking sector, which we're going to touch on a bit here today. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of crosswinds and the market is trying to figure out what this next phase is, right? We clearly have gotten to a point where the Fed is pivoting, but how aggressively will they pivot? How, uh, how bad will the economy get with a banking crisis kind of uh, at least for now, behind us, but obviously that brings some ramifications uh, in the more medium term. So we're going to discuss all of that, but most importantly, we're going to help you take that next step in your own version of financial freedom, and that's what we do each and every day on Invest Talk: is try to unpack the the data that matters to you and your investment journey. There are a lot of economic variables, geopolitical variables and market dynamics that uh, can be difficult to navigate, especially if you weren't classically trained in this uh, particular profession like uh, myself or Steve or Luke were, right? So this is something that it takes some some, some time to get used to vernacular, the, the dynamics of each individual variable and how they, there's interplay, right? There's interplay between currency risk and interest rate risk and uh, stock market risk, bond market risk, all of that. So all of this is something that we we try to educate you on each and every weekday. And of course, if you're new to Invest Talk, you'll know that, uh, or hope you know that we are here to give you our straight and unbiased answers, no hidden agenda. We're here just to uh, give you the perspective, the data, and ultimately the tools to make good decisions because it's not just about tuning into the show and finding a good tip and then buying that stock uh, or bond or whatever. It's really about having the mindset, having the knowledge so that you know the risks and rewards with everything you're doing. And if you don't, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, a lot of pitfalls to fall into if you don't have your eyes kind of wide open. And so we want to help you avoid those pitfalls and maximize the opportunities. So we're ready for your calls. 888 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. And my focus point today looks at the story behind, could the U.S. be barreling towards a recession? We're going to look at one opinion and kind of give you my sense of what that ultimately means for markets, because really that's what matters, right? Do you care if there's a recession, if you keep your job, your, your house price doesn't fluctuate much and equities go up? Does a recession matter to you? So we're going to look at that. Also, we're going to touch on where money has been flowing. There's obviously been a banking crisis, money flowing out of 
the regional banks. Now, not nearly at the level that one would expect based on the data. So we're going to unpack that. Also, what's happening within the physical gold market? I think that's uh, going to be interesting to take a look at uh, globally and what impact that could have on gold prices. And then lastly, the housing market. There are different regions. It's difficult to paint the entire country housing market housing markets with one broad brunch a brush excuse me brunch brush it's difficult because they all have their uh, each idiosyncrasies when it comes to housing supply and then demand based on the broader economy of those regions so we're going to unpack the 12 major housing markets across the country if we have time i also have a perspective today on tech stocks and term, in terms of lifetime wealth creation. And of course, your live calls. That's what's most important to me. 888 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We also have some voice bank questions to play. One is on margin investing and 529 plans. So let's take a look at the market today. We had a solid update. We closed pretty nicely. We were up Let's see, S&P was up about six and a half points. Okay, so we, we actually faded late in the day. But it was, it was a modest update. Once again, continuation of kind of figuring out what the trends are uh, in, in the market, in the economy, post the Fed pivot, now that it's pretty much here. And the small caps outperform, so that was a positive. That's a good economic sign when the small caps outperform. And the bank stocks, the bank stocks, they rallied uh, a bit as well, so uh, you had a pretty decent day on that front. So we're gonna we're gonna continue to unpack this uh, this market this week. It's going to be interesting to see do we pivot from here because this has uh, shown good support in the markets over the past week or two uh, around these levels around four thousand the S and P, and do we march higher or do we take a stair step lower to maybe thirty eight hundred? A lot will depend on how the market prices in future Fed policy. All right, let's go to our first listener question right now. Hey, good morning, Justin. Steve John here from Florida. I wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol AI. It is a software-based company. I've been tracking it for about a month or so, and I see resistance around the $21 range. I want to jump into this space, but just unsure. With the recent conversations on your podcast about oversupply concerns in the future, like semiconductors, the past, the dot-com bubble, et cetera, I want a long-term hold in the artificial intelligence sector and based off a of sheer share price in the future possibilities, it seems to be a good buy. However, all other high-level information, not too appealing. I look forward to hearing your opinion. Love the show. Thank you. Yeah, this is uh, Symbol AI. C3.ai is the company. And they're an enterprise artificial intelligence company. They provide software as a service, applications that enable customers to rapidly deploy, develop, and operate large-scale enterprise AI applications. Obviously, with the excitement around AI, there's a lot. Uh, a lot of these stocks have been built up. I mean, can't imagine one that's probably been the most bid up than something with a symbol AI, uh, the classic kind of uh, sympathy trade here. And you've seen that as of late. The stock was languishing around ten dollars at the end of the year, and that was down. Let me zoom out here. To a weekly chart. Yeah, it was a high from $180 back in early 2022. 
early last year. So you can see how much it was down because it's a growth name, right? It went public in late 2020. And yeah, so sorry, it peaked in 2021. So it was down over 90% from its high and it's gotten a little bit of bounce and sympathy. You'd really have to be excited about their technology. And just because the symbol is AI doesn't mean it has the best technology in the AI space. And there's going to be a lot, and I'll dig in this later, there's going to be a lot of companies in the space that are just saying they're AI. Remember when there were these tiny companies changing the name to blockchain, whatever? And AI is kind of a nebulous term, right? What qualifies as AI and what is machine learning and, you know, it's uh, which one's really have a, a language protocol like ChatGPT, it's, it's going to be a complex game. Now, if you want to trade this for the technicals, technicals look fine as of late. Probably, once again, money flowing into just simply AI, and this is just in sympathy. So technicals are fine, but the fundamentals are horrible, right? They lose money. They never made money. They're not supposed to make money next year. This is all uh, an AI kind of sympathy trade, but it's not a long-term investment unless you have, you know, rock solid, rock solid confidence in their technology. Now we're going into a break. My phone lines are open for you. If you're listening via the live stream, you can call right now. Or of course, if you're listening after hours, you can call anytime on Talk at 888-99-CHART. Thank you, and I hope to be the 50 millionth download of your incredible show. It is official. As of February 21st, an exciting new InvestTalk milestone was achieved. The InvestTalk podcast exceeded 50 million downloads. How do you guys determine a value stock? 50 million. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. Hey guys, this is Josh from South Carolina. I'm a longtime listener. 24 7, rain or shine, on tough market days or during brighter moments. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your questions. Our now preferred share is kind of a hybrid asset. It's part of the capital structure. You want to buy this what's on sale, and when it gets on sale, it's about $16 a share. $50 million. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future. But getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Ken in Maryland. Let's talk about brokers. Yes, I got a question about... uh... The mutual fund brokerage uh, sweep money market accounts. Okay. With with the uh, brokerage that I have, you can either put your sweep money in a bank account that's FDIC insured, uh-huh. or you can put it in a uh, money market uh, mutual fund that pays about uh, a little over 4%. You think mm-hmm. they're safe, these money markets? Yeah, most of them are, are very safe. There's been a lot of regulation around them since 08 to make sure that they are, are safe. Uh, but you, you, there are, there is some risk there. Uh, I think they'll always make sure that it doesn't break the buck like it did in 08. You know, there's, 
just look at the reaction to this recent banking crisis. They're always going to kind of backstop those super safe deposits. Um, and and because they, they don't want some sort of run on the banks, they don't want some sort of disintegration of current safe system, right? That's okay with uh, the, the, the expensive tech stocks and, and things kind of going going down that, that are risky in themselves. You should know that. But cash, they I think they're, they're always going to try to backstop that because they don't want, you know, some everybody pulling their money out at once, just like they did, did recently. Um, so I, I don't think there's much risk there. But you also have to look at the spread. What, what yield are you getting on that FTIC insured one versus the versus the one that isn't FDIC insured. Is it dramatic? Is it, you know, a full 1% or are you talking about basis points here? Usually they're basis points, right? They're not a huge difference in, in yield. Um, right. So it's kind of up to you if you want to take the risk or not. Does that make right. sense? Now, this, the uh, money that you keep in the sweep account, which is a money market, doesn't that fall under the SIPC insurance? Yes, yeah, SIPC, yes, it, it does. Um, but that's, there, it's not that CIPIC doesn't insure you against loss. So there are like, for example, for our clients, we're at TD Ameritrade and it sweeps into an FDIC insured money market account when we have, when we sell something right for clients. Um, right. So that's FDIC insured. The rest of the account is obviously has some risk to it because it's in individual securities, but the rest of the account is backed by SIPIC and that's from fraud, money being stolen. It's not from losses, right, on the account or anything like that. So I think if you're in a money market, there is some risk there, but it, but once again, SIPIC is only if there's fraud of any type, not not market right. losses. Make sense? Right. So if there was a lot of money involved, you would suggest keep most of it, and then the FDIC bank account. Uh, if if the spread is is minimal, I would say yes. You know, everything's a risk versus reward. You know, are you gonna right. are you gonna pick up a, a basis point or two in front of what, what could potentially be an issue? It's probably not worth it. Now, if you're talking one two hundred basis points, that could be a, a big difference. But uh, hopefully, that FDIC insured one is yielding at least a reasonable amount to where it's getting close to the, what the normal money market is, is yielding. So you really have to weigh that risk versus reward. How about 4.4% versus if it's in a bank, 0.35%? Yeah, then that's worth it, right? You're getting four, 400 basis point over and it's still very, very low risk. Probably worth it. Yeah, that difference. Thank for the answer. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Now, we're going to head to a quick break, but my phone lines are open on this Monday, ready for you. So give InvestTalk a call at 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today looks into the story behind this question. Could the U.S. be barreling towards a recession? And this is coming from an analyst, Richard Altman. He's the founder and chairman of Evercore. And he sees the odds of U.S. recession or U.S. going into recession continually rising with these recent rate hikes and global banking turmoil. 
and he sees things like the inverted yield curve or sharply inverted yield curve as a catalyst for that or, or a signal for that. I call it a catalyst more than a signal. Uh, chicken versus the egg, I guess you call it. Now, he says there's a huge gap into what the market sees rates will be versus what the Fed is expecting through the back half of the year. And, and I definitely agree with that sentiment. Uh, it's really interesting to see that if you look at the odds of a rate cut in, let's see, July, it's about 41% that the Fed funds rate will be less than it is today. 42.5% that they'll be the same as it is today. So those are kind of your two options and uh, kind of evenly split between a hike between now and then and, and, and two cuts. Uh, and then you go back to, you out to June, there's a, yeah, that, that, so basically now in July, the market's starting to price in a Fed cut. If you go out to September, the best odds for this September meeting is a cut from where we are today. So that's a pretty big move, pretty stark compared to where we were just a couple of few weeks ago, maybe call it a month ago, where the market was expecting continuation of more rate hikes through the first half of the year. And he talks about potential of a credit event. And I think that's probably the biggest worry now. It's not of more Fed rate hikes. It's what is that knock-on effect of the banking crisis. But once again, I've said this many times, that a recession, or when you're in a recession, that's actually the best time to be buying equities because that creates a Fed pivot. And so whether we're in a recession, going into a recession, what's going to be more important is, is liquidity within the markets. Tight liquidity is what brings drawdowns. And remember, a recession is real, negative, real GDP growth. In 08, think about how bad 08 was. Nominal GDP didn't go down a whole lot. It's in the low single digits. In a normal recession, GDP tends to continue to go up. And that's when inflation was, you know, one or two or 3%. Now it's obviously stair stepped higher. So nominally, you're very unlikely to see the economy actually shrink. And that's what matters most to markets because markets are priced nominally. They're not adjusted for inflation. Now, you probably want to go and take your returns and adjust it for inflation. You'll know exactly what you're, you're getting in real terms, in purchasing power terms. But a lot of people are always fearful of what that next recession is because they have PTSD from 08. But you can see, just look at the reaction over the last couple of weeks and going back to the COVID crisis, how quickly they step in, usually the Fed, other members as well, Congress, to put money out into the system, to not have a deflationary spiral, to inflate the economy and thus asset prices. 
whether that's spending money on the fiscal side or it's easing policy and backstopping deposits like the Fed did. All of that is to arrest a deflationary impulse. And that should be a very strong signal to you that, yes, there's going to be recessions, but they're likely in nominal terms to probably not be very negative at all. And they're going to be quick to react to try to bring us out of it. Now, that could ultimately be bigger problems down the line, and I think it will. But near term, I don't think a recession is really what you want to worry about. Now, let's keep things moving. Put it back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Massachusetts. And you know the number. It's 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. This is George in Massachusetts. I was wondering if you could discuss the pros and cons of buying stocks on margin. I appreciate it. And thanks. Bye. I definitely don't recommend it. You know, you're borrowing money. It's costing you money to buy stocks. I, I think minimal margin, you know, 5% of your portfolio, maybe 10. I think that's fine if you're trying to up your risk profile overall. But no, it's going to create more volatility and you're going to have to earn more than the cost to borrow those those funds. And right now, with rates up, obviously, that becomes more expensive. So do I recommend people invest on margin? No, I don't. Do I think it's the death nail if you have low single digits of, of margin on your account? No, I don't think it's the end of the world. But I wouldn't have that consistently, you know, short periods of time. That's fine. Um, but don't ex- use margin extensively. It's definitely uh, something that can get you in big, big trouble if you go overboard. Now, the next invest talk, the story behind this headline, REITs under pressure from the wave of banking fear. And we're going to get into that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is constantly changing. 
and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Kevin calling from La Crescenta, California. I am calling because I had a question about the 529 plans and the ability to uh, roll them over into a Roth IRA in the future. Um, I already have some five, a couple of 529s for my kids. I'm wondering if opening a 529 for myself uh, with the intent to roll it over into a Roth IRA in the future would be a good plan or a good option at this time. Um, about you know, 15 years from uh, age 60, I know currently the the cap for rolling over the 529 is $35,000 into a Roth IRA. So if I wanted to say open a, a 529 with like $10,000 for myself and and plan to roll that into a Roth IRA in the future, if you think that would be a good idea. I appreciate your opinion. Thank you. Yeah, that's an interesting new wrinkle that they've that Congress has rolled out with the 529 plans. And I think it's a not a bad idea. It's kind of a new workaround. Now know that remember the 529 plan money has not been taxed. So when you roll that into a Roth IRA, it's it's gonna be income to you, just like it would be with a Roth conversion. That's basically what you're doing uh, there. And you're limited, right, to $35,000 over a lifetime. So it's not like it can be uh, a, a giant amount of money. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting new way to look at it uh, with, these, with these new rules and uh, not a bad idea. But the question would be, why, why not just a regular IRA, I guess you could say? Maybe, yeah, because the 529 plan you can save additionally. So, yeah, I think that's a, it's a new way to think about uh, saving for retirement is through those 529 plans. So I like that idea. All right. Now, my perspective today looks back as far as 100 years, focusing on some of the greatest tech stocks of all time. And, and people are always interested in tech stocks. But contrary to what many young people think, tech stocks, they didn't, weren't just born in the dot-com bubble 1.0, right? We're just ex experiencing dot-com dot bubble 2.0, or we call it app boom, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, the 90s wasn't the start of it. Tech stocks date back to 1924, I think RCA Radio, okay? And we're going to look at... History of stocks in general, and this is from research from Arizona State University. And a lot of people like tech stocks because they like the explosive growth. Right? What's that next Amazon and Apple? But what they did was they looked at the lifetime returns of 25,782 common stocks over a 90-year span. And did you know, ninety over those 90 years... 96% of all stocks, 96% of all stocks, yes, 9.6, they, they collectively perform no better than a risk-free one-month treasury bill. Basically cash. Think about that. 
That's how rare good companies are, good investments are. Only 4% of those outperformed cash. Now, how many were left over? About 1,000 stocks. And they generated all of the nearly $32 trillion in wealth creation by the stock market between 1926 and December of 2015. That's the data set they looked at. Even more striking of those 1,000, the top 30 stocks accounted for about a third of that total amount. And seven of the 30 top performing stocks are tech stocks. Only seven. Now let's take a look at the top five tech stocks in wealth creation over that time. We're going to go highest to lowest. Now, number one is IBM. And you think, ah, oh, IBM, that's boring. And it's true. I, I, I frankly wouldn't be a huge investor of IBM, IBM now, but it's been a big wealth creator over its time frame. It's been around for a long, long time. Began operations in 1924. It joined the Dow in 1932. Then it left and it was added back in 1979. And it's still a component of the Dow today. Lifetime wealth creation, $487 billion, up 9,456,000%. Number two, Amazon. It's been only public for about 22 years. Lifetime wealth creation, $300 billion, 45,000% return. Number three, Alphabet. Also known as Google. And it went public 13 years ago. And in 2004, companies were $27 billion. Sorry, not just 13 years ago, more than that. But cumulative return, about 1,500%. Number four, Intel. Throughout since 1971. Cumulative return, 119%, $246 billion. And then lastly, Oracle, $203 billion. It was founded in 1977, went public in 1986. So it's been around a long time. And you can see that here. It's, it's not just about being a great company, but it's about being around a long time and having longevity, especially in the tech space. There's a lot of, a lot of companies that become obsolete. Think about how great of the returns there were for BlackBerry in 2007, 2006, before they peaked out. And so it can be difficult. And that's why you can talk about these companies on the list. I bet you 20 years from now, these probably won't be the top five in the tech space, when it comes to wealth creation, it'll probably be a new top five, despite their success so far. Now, it might be Amazon reverting to the mean and struggling with the deglobalizing world that we're in. Could be IBM just failing to ever transition to the cloud effectively. 
Could be Alphabet with ChatGPT taking over. Could be Intel with never recovering from their recent setbacks in chip manufacturing and innovation. And it could be Oracle. Could be that they struggled to pivot and find the software that is relevant in today's time. And you know what's funny? Of these five, the probably the one I'd be the most confident in probably Oracle. It's fifth on the list. So, uh, but they all, once again, could be different a couple of decades from now. But I thought that was interesting because a lot of people are excited and interested in tech and, you know, it's kind of consumer facing. So people know it and they like it. But many of these companies are either business facing, right? They're B2B or, you know, it's about longevity and it's not the hot, sexy name that uh, is around today. Right, let's talk about the flight to money market funds and what companies or you know, what fund families were benefit beneficiaries of the recent banking crisis. And that would be JP Morgan, as you'd imagine, Goldman Sachs and Fidelity, the biggest winners, where more than $286 billion flowed into money market funds in March. It's the biggest monthly inflow since the COVID crisis. Goldman Sachs U.S. Money Fund took in nearly $52 billion, a 13% increase from March 9th. J.P. Morgan received $46 billion, and Fidelity saw $37 billion in inflow. Now, these money market funds typically buy very low-risk assets, easy to sell, typically short-dated treasuries. And the pace of has accelerated obviously over the past couple of weeks, mainly because those large depositors at those smaller banks are, are looking, looking elsewhere. And the amount of money in money market funds now is at a record $5.1 trillion. And what does that mean? It means there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. And the Federal Reserve data released on Friday showed that bank deposits declined through March 15th, but the large banks added about 100 billion dollars whereas the small banks they lost about 200 billion dollars and part of this is not just flight to safety but it's also realizing there's better yields out there and when you're getting still I know you know our business we, we bank with Chase JP Morgan, they don't pay a lot. So do you look for more yield? I mean, we do a little bit, but you have to have some cash for your business. So it can be, it can be challenging, but a lot of people are thinking about that. They're thinking about where to pivot their money. And that's what you're seeing right now is a lot of money flowing into those money market accounts, just like the caller earlier. And I think this is a trend that's going to continue because they're looking at their yields and they're saying, this isn't high enough. I need better. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Best Stock Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Texas. So today I'm looking at ticker symbol UTL. 
is Austin from Texas, and I find myself asking, what would Steve and Justin do? And so here I am looking at UTL. It looks like the PE ratio is a little bit high, but it, it's, as far as the chart, I mean, it looks like it's going to get the price is going to go up. Average price around fifty-one dollars. I want to go down. I would catch this around the forty-five to fifty-dollar range. But I just want to know what you guys think about this. Does it look like something that is um, going to go down back to its uh, all-time low, or is it going to stick around the fifty-dollar range? I'd like to hear your opinion on this, either Steve or Justin. Thank you so much for uh, taking this answer. If you do decide to answer this question, I'd love to hear about it. Thank you. All right. This is Unitil Corporation. This is a utility. They distribute electricity and natural gas in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Hampshire and Maine. So the, the Northeast and solid business, about a 3% current dividend yield. Their return on equity is right around 9%, which isn't crazy high, but that's a utility. Utilities don't typically have high return on equity because they're usually very regulated. This is right around the long-term average of about 9%. Is there a five-year average return on equity? And it's at it's a nine, right? So I don't think it's over-earning or under-earning. It's not going to be a big grower. Earnings last quarter were up 1% year over year. It's dividend safe. I think you're going to trade in a trading range and it's going to move a lot with the utility space. And in some ways, it's a bond proxy. Most utilities are. Now, it's not a high dividend payer, right? 3% is not huge, but I'm not, I'm not looking for that. And I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that it's more of a, a average, a slightly above average dividend yield instead of a high dividend uh, payer. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Don't think that you're going to double your money in two or three years. It's a utility. It's made to pay a dividend. It's going to trade with minimum, you know, not minimal volatility, but low volatility compared to the broader market. And it's a good name. And it has still some, as long, some tailwinds when it comes to people moving to the, the Northeast as well. And that's, uh, that's something I like. So could you go back to the lows? You know, 45, I think if yields perk up a lot, which I don't really think they will in the near term, then you could get this to come back down to the low 40s. But uh, overall, I like it. Just know that it's fairly low risk for an equity, but you're, that means not a ton of upside either. Right? Thanks for the call. Now, let's touch on that. Let's touch on some trends in the housing market. And I think that is very interesting here is that we kind of have two types of housing markets in the country right now. One is east of Colorado. And one is west of Colorado and Austin. So in all 12 major housing markets west of Texas plus Austin fell in January on a year over year basis. In the 37 biggest metro areas east of Colorado, except Austin, they rose year over year. So a lot of this has to do with local factors, affordability, and job growth. And the markets that enjoyed big run-ups from the 90s until recently, they're hurt the most. And especially those that are reliant on the tech industry, they're falling the fastest. San Jose, California, and San Francisco were down more than 10% from a year earlier, and Seattle fell 7.5%. But places like Florida, Southern Markets, there's a lot of jobs moving there. Orlando is up 9.3%. Miami up 12%. That was the best among 50 metro areas. 
even in the Northeast, Buffalo, Hartford, Connecticut, those had good house gain or price gains. And you're seeing this really bifurcated trend. Now, home sales more broadly, they fell 0.2% year over year for the first time in 11 years. But there's still areas in the Southeast, Nashville, Tennessee, Raleigh, North Carolina, they're vulnerable to price declines. So very interesting trends in the housing market and very bifurcated. And I think it will continue to be for some time. Now we're heading into our final break. So if you're ready, give me a call now on the best stock at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now you probably noticed that Steve and I are excited about hitting our 50 million download mark. And to celebrate, we're giving away 50 free annual subscriptions to the KPP Premium Newsletter, or got annual, but one-year subscriptions. And this is our 50 for 50 million. Thank you to you for helping us. And all you have to do to win is head over to our social platforms on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, like and tag three friends. And we have 10 more to give away coming up uh, this Thursday. So it's your last chance if you do want to try to win. Now, let's see, are we going to pivot to, uh, let's squeeze in another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, love to get your thoughts on Marathon Oil, ticker symbol MRO. Looks like it's a little over 30% off from its highs, really low PE, around four or five, pays a small dividend, looking to hold it for the long term. Thanks. All right, this is Marathon Oil. It's a fairly large $14 billion market cap, independent explorer and producer of unconventional sources of oil. So that's typically fracking. And about 70% of its production is oil, 30 and natural gas liquids, and then 30% is natural gas itself. So Leaning on the oil side, which is which is fine, definitely helped so far. Uh, it's outperformed uh, natural gas as of late, but longer term, I don't know if I expect that to continue. One point five percent dividend yield, which is fine. He'll continue to pay that. I like that they have been. Let's see, they've been paying down their debt. Oh, it went up recently. Okay, so looks like they made a recent acquisition, which I think is is fine. You know, I, I, I'm fine with Marathon. You know, it has pretty consistent return on equity, 32% currently. And they have good assets. They're well run. So I'm going to give Marathon a thumbs up. It's at support as well. So uh, as is the entire energy space. Now, is it my favorite in the oil patch? Probably not. But, you know, it's definitely a good one. And it's, uh, it's pretty well run. All right, now lastly, let's touch on gold, which I think there's some interesting trends in the physical gold market. We don't talk a lot about that. We talk about the demand for gold when it comes to an investment, but there is increasing demand on higher quality physical gold. And this could be a sign that people are investing in higher quality gold. Uh, you know, in the US, there's they, they the U.S. Department of Commerce doesn't see, or sorry, 
U.S. Federal Trade Commission doesn't see that nine karat gold, which is popular in other parts of the world, uh, is real gold. And what's happening in other parts of the world is they're moving up from nine karat to 14 karat, which is 58.5% gold. Nine karat is 37.5% gold. I don't know if you knew that. 75% or 18 karat is 75% gold. So that's kind of how that breaks down. But there's increasing trends, especially in Europe, for more jewelry makers to be making 14 karat gold from nine karat gold. In fact, last year, Nine karat gold demand fell 2.2%. 18 karat gold uh, grew 5.2%. And 14 karat gold was up 40.9%, nearly 41% year over year. So what you can see is that that's now becoming the base quality, not just here in the US, but around the world. And this could be another source for gold demand. As prices and it's it's remember that's a, that's a big step change from thirty seven point five to fifty eight point five. It's a huge difference, especially you're talking about volume, uh, and you know throughout the world, gold is known as a store of value. And in times like this, I think this is uh, an indicator of increasing demand for uh, many reasons, and could be another catalyst for prices to go up. Besides just Fed easy. Right. I thought that was an interesting story. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This includes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And to potentially win our free one year subscription to the KP Premium newsletter, just head over to our social platforms and like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million post. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.